doesn't feel like you think what it'll feel like. I think the sickness that entrepreneurs have is you get to where you think you want to be and you think it's going to feel a certain way. And then you get there, you're like, oh, that doesn't feel as good as I thought. So I, I, I've disabused myself of the idea of like, I'm going to get somewhere and be like, ah, that's what this should have felt like. It feels wonderful. I'm very proud. But you know, there's things that happen in business. Like you don't just get to be a big brand and then all your problems go away. So when you're met as a big company, when you have certain problems, they become bigger. And so it doesn't like, yes, great. We, you know, have said in the press, we're a hundred million dollar company, but that comes with a hundred million problems. Rebecca Minkoff built a global brand with a wide range of apparel, handbags, footwear, jewelry, and accessories, including tech. She's also an icon, a mentor, an innovator, a thought leader, and a media personality. Coming up, you'll hear a special interview. It's Becky Unfiltered. Rebecca reveals why she's a mama bear, her new focus on minimizing waste and protecting the environment, why a hundred million dollar company comes with a hundred million challenges. How new tariffs caused her company to restructure an entire supply chain for a product line. Why she launched the Female Founder Collective as a teaching resource. How she succeeded despite starting before social media. And the reality of not being an overnight success. And the challenges of working with your sibling. the Entreprenista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Rebecca, we know this is not your first interview. You've been on many podcasts. You have your own podcast. You've spoken at so many different events and conferences. But what's something we just wouldn't know about you that you just haven't even gotten the chance to talk about yet? I think there's a friend of mine who works with me would love to see more unfiltered Becky is is what he likes to call it. It's the type of thing. And I guess I can allude to it in some a few stories. But it's the part of me that I guess he wishes were on the cover of like Us Weekly, like you didn't know this about them. And I think that I can get very heated about certain topics or issues. And then I speak my mind very freely. But it's in certain circumstances. So I just had my first baby. I went to a bar to celebrate a friend's birthday. It was a bar with food. Brought the baby. He was four months old, sleeping on me. And I remember going to the bathroom and I just had like my first margarita oh, in, gosh. you know, 12 months. <laughs> and this woman was like, I can't believe she'd bring her baby to a bar. Like, what kind of woman is this? And like, I was like, you know, you transition into being a new mother and like, maybe you don't feel as cool for a second or like, why should I be there? And I just remember flying out of the bathroom with my arms like raised like, who do you think you are? Your uterus is barren. And he could see. And I was like, I had my arms out like this and he could see what was happening. He went to my husband. She's like, your wife is trying to get into a bar fight (laughs) with your baby strapped to your chest. And they walked me out of the bar. But like, just, I guess that type of, you know, or we were just on an airplane and there was a man in front of me complaining like, about our kids and they weren't even being loud they were just being kids and every time they did something he would freak out and the wife looked at me 
at, at one point and I just looked right at her. I was like, do you have a problem? And Gavin's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go there. Because then I'm going to have to hurt him and then we're going to get kicked off the plane. And this is like a 70-year-old man. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll rein it in. So I guess that. All right. So you're confrontational. I am in the, in the, in the in like a perfect storm. Like if It's like probably like mama bear. I'm confrontational. Uh, that that was a good one. I'm so so surprised. <laughs> yes, me too. What other what other things are you passionate about? I know that you started the Female Founder Collective. Yeah. Was it a year ago? Two years ago? It was a year ago. And I so I know you're passionate about female uh, yeah. founders. But is there any other topic that we wouldn't know that you're just feeling super strongly about right now? I think our environment. I think the waste. Maybe it's striking a chord right now because, you know, I, I was on an airplane watching a documentary about plastic and mm. we all talk about plastic. But when you see like yeah, w- how deeply it's going and then I get home, I'm like, I'm done with plastic and I open my fridge and everything that's been delivered is in plastic, right? And all the food I'm serving my children is in plastic and I just still go, oh, what's the fucking point? What am I supposed to do? Like have a grain sack with me everywhere and how do I serve my children meals and where do I buy their food if like – I'm not going to send them with glass bottles. So I just am struggling with that. As I'm sitting next to you with my uh, and we plastic ser- bottle. But we like- have it in my office too. <laughs> yeah. I finally got rid of uh, that for guests. But it's just like I see the plastic fo- spoons and forks and I don't know. It's hitting a nerve with me right now that I feel very passionate about. Yeah. And I mean, we're definitely seeing a lot of businesses pop up that uh, address this issue. And I know in our, even in our office too, we try to be as earth conscious as possible yeah. but but it's it's tough everything everything we find is is in plastic yeah we need to develop a solution for, for this i know well, are you con- to, i mean europe just banned single-use plastic yeah. so i think hopefully the u.s yeah. could do the same thing and companies could start thinking about alternative solutions because it just feels futile if you're one person and then like everything is just arriving to you no matter how you order it as an entrepreneur, do you find yourself when you see these problems that you want to now start new businesses and try to solve it? Or are you able to stay focused on on what you're doing and then look to other people to solve these problems? I think with certain things that I see that make sense, yeah. I'll then want to start that business. I'm not going to get into the plastics or the banning of, you know, like m- my clothing still will come due in a plastic bag until I can find an alternative. So I think that I'm hoping that if we employ and empower more female founded companies, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's our maternal nature of knowing we're leaving a planet to these young folks that will develop solutions that are just more aggressive is my hope. Yeah. That we'll just have a different take on it. I want to know more about the fashion business. Yes. So I know that your brother joined the company early on when you first started. What is it like working with your brother? So over the years, the relationship has really changed and evolved. Uh, At first, he was the older brother helping his younger sister out when he eventually decided to like go all in and move here and become the CEO. For the first few years, we stayed in our lanes. And then as we both sort of understood each other's roles, we both started crossing over and that was met with lots of fireworks and And disagreements. Unfiltered Becky. Unfiltered (laughs) Becky. (laughs) Walk us through one of those uh, moments. Well, I think when like... He's sitting there reviewing my looks before the fashion show, critiquing what I've put together, like that, you know, I'm stewing, like I'm fuming. Or if I say to him, like, why didn't this vendor get paid on time? You know, then that pisses him off. So I think there was this push-pull of 
knowing enough about the other one's world that we could comment and critique it, but the other one not liking it. So we adopted like to go to a mediator once a mm. year. We sort of sort through all of our disagreements there, uh, at least the major ones, and have a neutral party there to sort of be the force that doesn't allow it to get out of hand. So, How long did it take you to realize you needed that mediator or coach? Well, we were using my dad for a long time, and that just got dangerous because yeah. they're your parent and, you, you know, it, it just gets emotional. So I think we started doing – I want to say about five years ago, we started having a mediator. So now there's like a 24-hour policy. Like, I don't like that he did that. I'm going to email this guy. If it doesn't resolve, then he steps in and we set up a phone call or we go see him. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are starting businesses with family members, even from the beginning? I think that you have to clearly define your roles outside of your siblingness. And I think you have to really get out in the open. Like, this is what I didn't want both sides kind of coming together. And before you go into business together, really just deciding that uh, you can agree to those things and sort of try and take the long view and like look ahead. You know, like if I'm going to be getting all these amazing opportunities and he's always back at the office, like, you know, it became an issue when he's like, you get to do all the fun stuff. I'm like, sh you know, sweeping up the shit on the street. So how do you sort of know that and say, oh, when I have opportunities to involve him so he can go do all the fun stuff that he feels that way or that I know that it's important to him. So I think that you have to really just get it all out on the table mm -hmm. and then try and have it segmented that like there's work time and then there's family time. Mm -hmm. So we stopped talking about work in front of our spouses and in front of our family. Um, we don't talk about work at all. If it means we don't talk, that's fine too. But we just try and separate it so you can keep some sort of uh, boundaries with that. What is he responsible for versus you? Well, as CEO, I mean, he's responsible for the PL of the business. He's responsible, you know, his direct reports are the CFO, the sales team, the e-com team. Indirectly, PR reports to me. They do have a, a CMO as their boss. But uh, because I'm so forward-facing, mm -hmm. you know, they have to sort of engage with me on initiatives and design. So I think that it's, you know, the end of the day, he has to make sure the business is thriving and working and things are getting on boats and being delivered. And um, I'm making sure that, you know, marketing, PR, design is taken care of. When you were growing up, could you ever have imagined what your life would be like now being this incredible female entrepreneur who has grown this successful business? Like, was that your dream as a child? I mean, I remember wanting to be a designer. Uh, I also wanted to be a dancer. Then I wanted to be a <laughs> choreographer. So I feel like I went through all these things. Um, I do remember very clearly when I was 21, I was in LA with a suitcase of clothing going door to door to different boutiques. And it just like felt like such a losing proposition. And a friend of ours is this really successful musician and he was on the radio. And I just said to my boyfriend at the time, like, I'm never going to have what this guy has. Like he's world renowned. Everyone loves his music, and I just feel like this is a grind, and it's not – there's not traction. And so to think back at how terrible that felt to, like, where I am today, you know, you could hope, but, you you know, it didn't feel that way then. I'll say that much. Were you entrepreneurial as a child? I was. I loved crafting, and my mom would sell these – they were basically cast covers – but in cool prints, like cool spandex prints for people with casts, she would smell, sell them at the swap meet. I don't know why. That wasn't her day job. Her day job, she was 
she had several day jobs, but so she would take me. And then I was like, well, let's add a table to the side of this and I'll do my spin art and I'll make earrings and I'll like tie dye t-shirts. I sold zero, but I got very excited about that, like making and creating mm-hmm. and then selling. So I think that started very early on. And how did your brand come to be? Can you walk us through that period of time when you were first launching? Yeah. I moved here when I was 18. I got a paid internship with a designer. And so that internship was about six months long before I said, you need to hire me. You know, I can't sustain this. And so they hired me on the design team. And the CEO really took me under her wing and taught me at the time, like every facet of the business or had me at least work in every area. So I had a general sense of how it would operate. Since I could sew and do all all the creation of garments on my own, I started creating my own garments, kind of ideating on what that would look like. And in 2001, had gone on a trip to the Caribbean, loved these t-shirts that were all cut up with the beads. And I was like, I don't want a shirt that says Aruba. I want something that's New York. So I made an I Love New York shirt. My sister-in-law wore it to dinner with Jen Elfman, who's on Fear the Walking Dead. At the time, she was on Dharma and Greg. And she was at dinner and said, I want one. And I made her one. I sent it to her on September 9th, 2001. Mm-hmm. She wore it on the 13th. Jay was like, who's your shirt? And I don't want to say the rest is history, but the the magazines that featured that shirt over and over and over again, and that was when magazines actually moved product. Mm-hmm. That's all I did for nine months was make that shirt. I would go down to Did Canal you quit Street. your job or this was a side hustle? So I was – it was a side hustle, but when 9-11 happened, I also was like, I can't go to work. Like I got to go down there and I got to mm-hmm. help. And so I was responsible at the time with the volunteers – to like sort of be in the triage area helping the first responders Mm -hmm. like just recover because they were working 24-hour shifts. So whether it was water or like here's a cot to lay down, what can I get you? That was what I was responsible for setting up. And I I just called my boss and I was like, I got to keep doing this. You know, like this doesn't feel right to just be at the office worrying about shipping your shirts. Um, And she said, you know what? You're so passionate about your own career. Like go do it. I'm letting you go. I'm here for you, but go. So it all kind of happened at the same time. Were you scared when you took that leap? I was totally freed because it's not like you're making a lot of money. I mean, I didn't know how to price things. And so I was like, well, the shirt's 20. I'll sell it for 45. I'll make 25. But you're not really making 25. Maybe you're making five at the end of the day. So I think that my my shitty math skills didn't exactly <laughs> allow for me to pay rent or live very easily. And were you selling them on your website or going door to door, back to going door to door? So if we go back into the uh, primitive era of (laughs) AOL, there were a couple websites doing some e-commerce in 2001. There was one e-commerce site called Raven Style, and I faxed her my line sheets. And she said to me when the fax came out the other end, she couldn't even see what it was, but she saw like – Something that looked maybe like a blob that looked interesting and she called me (laughs) or she emailed me. And so I I would go to her and I said, here's the shirt. And she said, great, I want 20. And we sold them only on our site because, again, e-commerce was still in its infancy. And, again, not making – knowing how to make money, I remember saying to her, okay, I need you to advance me the money to go buy the shirts and then pay me the balance upon return. So she was – a really amazing woman and saw that I was working my ass off. And I think she would also whisper things to me like, editors are looking for blah. Can you, can you go make some? 
And so I'd be like, sure. So there was one, you know, one season shortly thereafter where she would say, people want terry cloth. And I was like, great. Here's a terry cloth jumpsuit. And so, so she knew kind of what was in demand and she would tell me and then I would go make it. So we, we did business like that for a long time. And then when did it start to change? So for four years, it was like that. It was this hustle. It was this nightmare of just – I never want to revisit those times again. Yeah, you here in like, the garment district. It was me and one other gentleman making everything. He smoked and he refused to not smoke in his factory. Mm. So everything that I shipped out smelled like smoke. Did customers complain? Oh, yeah. I mm. had a huge uh, order. It was like $5,000 to Madison Boutique in, in L.A. It was like a really great store. And he said, I'm canceling my check. I'm shipping it all back to you. It stinks like cigarette smoke. I was like, I tried to get it out. He's like, that's not my problem. And so that, that was a tough nut. But it was true, right? You don't want your, your new garment smelling like smoke. So uh, I paid my bills on the side barely by being a stylist. I had fallen into meeting a director and he gave me all these jobs. And so you'd make $1,000 a day. Um, I don't know, maybe 30 days a year. So that could like keep it going while I sort of had this not really that successful clothing line. So what was the turning point for you? The turning point for me was Jenna and I were having dinner in LA and she said, do you make bags? Uh, I have a movie coming up and it's really a pivotal part that the character has this bag. And I was like, yes, I make bags. So I went to the garment center, figured out where to get a bag made, made two, shipped her one. FedEx delivered it two hours late. It didn't make it to the movie. They started shooting with who knows what other bag. And I had one. And it was like this devastating moment of like, that was the last $800 that I had. Like, I cannot go back to my dad anymore and be like, can I just have like $100? Or... And so enough women were stopping me when I was wearing the bag that I thought there's something to this bag. And then a friend of mine who who was a buyer for a store in LA, a really dear friend of mine, said, I know what we're going to do. I'm going to buy the bag for the store. But then my friend at Daily Candy, remember Daily yep. Candy? Yes. Yep. She's going to write about it. And I'm going to credit our store, of course. And so we did that in 2005. And they had bought 12 units probably of the bag. It sold out immediately. They came back, we ordered 75. It sold out. And at that point, I was like, hey, dad, like, I have, I have something on fire. Will you loan me the money to do the next run? And he's like, no way call your brother. And so that was the call that I made to my brother <laughs> of like, okay, I need to go uptown and produce some more bags. Like, will you loan me the money? So you just shared really for three, four, almost five years, you were just hustling, trying hustling. to figure everything out as you went along. And I keep thinking about what you said, you know, 20 minutes ago, how when you were, I think you were in LA and you heard someone on the radio and they were so successful and you thought you would, or your child and you would, how could you ever be that? I feel like where you are now in your career, so many young entrepreneurs hear you and see you and look up to you. Right. And you're, you know, that luminary to those young girls where you must have felt like that back then. And you've now worked all of these years. Like, what does that feel like? It feel it doesn't feel like you think what it'll feel like. I think the sickness that entrepreneurs have is you get to where you think you want to be and you think it's going to feel a certain way. And then you get there you're like, oh, that doesn't feel as good as I thought. So I, I, I've disabused myself of the idea of like, I'm going to get somewhere and be like, ah, that's what this should have felt like. <laughs> yeah. Someone recently described that to me as getting the business bug. Yes. We all have the business bug. We have the business bug. Yeah. So it feels wonderful. I'm very proud. But 
you know, there's things that happen in business. Like you don't just get to be a big brand and then all your problems go away. So when you're met as a big company, when you have certain problems, they become bigger. And so it doesn't like, yes, great. We, you know, have said in the press, we're a hundred million dollar company, but that comes with a hundred million problems. And then when someone decides to mess with the tariffs and you have to give a check of a million dollars, you're like, there's challenges that take away some of the joy. And I'm not saying don't do it, but you have to be aware of like, you think it all looks good, but there's a lot of of pain still that takes place that you should just know exists at the same time. We always say being an entrepreneur is not always as glamorous as it might look on Instagram. A hundred percent. But it's awesome. But you should know that you're getting into that. So you're not like blindsided and shocked. What are some of the big problems that you have now that you did not anticipate having? The tariffs. The tariffs. Um, We had to completely restructure our entire handbag supply chain. I think we didn't anticipate the fact that, I guess there's a few things, you know, you have these brands that are sort of coming up very quickly and we call them ankle biters, but like they all take a little bit of piece out of your business. And so while overall it doesn't affect you, it's just like you're constantly trying to outcreate these brands that are, we pride ourselves on being nimble, but they can be more nimble sometimes. So I think it's like constantly trying to keep up with that and then keep up with fast fashion that, mm-hmm. you know, customers are not brand loyal today. They're price loyal. So how do you get someone to have a loyalty f- for you that goes beyond your product? Because you can get something that looks like my thing for half the price. So what's going to make you buy me instead of fast fashion? And, and so- what do you think those things are? Why do people – you think people buy Rebecca Minkoff? <sighs> I would love – to say, I would love to say I hope they buy because they want to support an independent designer. I would hope that they would say she's doing a lot for other women. Let me support her. I would hope it would be like I feel like I know her and she's not some designer who's better than me. She's like my mentor and best mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I hope. But at the end of the day, sometimes I see a girl and she's like, I just want the cute bag. I don't, I don't need the backstory. I don't need the brand. I just want to look cute. So you have to sort of figure out how do you pierce through that. Coming up, how she succeeded despite starting before social media, and the reality of not being an overnight success. And a surprise. You're an inspiration to so many people and a resource to a lot of young women entrepreneurs. But who is a resource or mentor to you? Who do you go to for advice? You know, part of the reason why I started the Female Founder Collective is founders go through unique challenges that they couldn't foresee or ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And you can't go to your staff with some of the issues and you turn to them with some of the things you face or the things that you lose sleep at night. So at least there'd be another founder that you could be like, what the hell do I do? So, you know, it's women like Rachel Blumenthal, the founder of Rockets of Awesome or Alexa Von Tobel. You know, she started LearnVest. Now she has Inspired Capital or Katia Beecham from Birchbox. Women that are not necessarily in fashion, but I can be like, this is the issue. You know, what have you done in your in this scenario? And women I can vomit to and they're not going to go tell people or say, mm-hmm. you know, this is a problem. Have you heard? They're not gossipers. And so I think that I try as often as possible to just – other women, other female luminaries that have built incredible things that I know have experienced the same challenges um, is who I kind of like to be taught by. What's the last challenge you went to someone for? That's a good question. The last challenge I went to someone for, 
I can't tell you what that was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and then are you a texter or a caller? Or like, hey, meet me for drinks. <laughs> I need a bottle of Unfiltered Becky's here. We got to talk. <laughs> um, I'm mostly a texter, but when things go back and forth like five times, I'm like, yeah. I pick up the phone. Yeah. And it annoys me that my staff will be like, well, I emailed them. I'm like, call them. Yeah, call pick them. Up the phone. Yeah. Pick up How the many phone. people are you now? We're 55. 55, all based here in New York. Yeah, except for our sales team that – or the, our sales staff in our L.A. store and our Chicago store. Do you manage anyone directly? Are you – does someone your direct report? Uh, used to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, my assistant is my direct report. And then I have dotted lines to certain team members, but we took away my last – so I used to manage 18 people. And then after I had the last baby, um, we decided that somebody else could manage the design teams day to day because there, there's a lot of management. Mm -hmm. And I was spending more time managing than designing or doing anything else. And so I think that we took away that. But obviously, I'm going to give you my mood board. I'm going to give you my inspiration. I'm going to you know, give you all the vintage samples I've accrued. I'm going to send you pictures and you have to listen to me. But like, you don't report to me. Yeah, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Where do you get your inspiration from? On the design side, I think I get a lot of it from traveling, seeing new cultures, different places, just going into archives of like, there's like a time period of the 60s to like the mid 70s where like those women still look as fashionable and stylish as they do now you could take a jane birkin and rip her out of a page and walk her down the street and everyone would want what she's wearing or bianca jagger or so or patty smith i just think there's these so i kind of stay a lot in that time period and we're sort of the aesthetic is, is around this bohemian rock and roll hard and soft so i think knowing that i just sort of look for those types of things and how have you been able to balance, if that's even possible, having a family, you have three kids, correct? And running this incredibly successful business. I told you, I've just had my first child and I'm like, oh my gosh, how how does anyone work and <laughs> run a business yes. and have a family? It's so hard. Do you have advice you can offer new moms and moms? I have a lot of thoughts yeah. here. Here comes the unfiltered. Go for it. I want to hear it all. <laughs> I think that's what we need to title yes. this podcast. Yeah, Entrepreneurs Unfiltered. <laughs> So first of all, balance, whoever introduced that idea, the, let's look at it. Like I, I said this yesterday, I spoke at a conference and I said, men never had balance, right? They always had to be the ones to go to work mm -hmm. and, and in our history and, and like go fight off the cave, whatever, stealers. <laughs> and so they never had the balance. So who who thought that we should even think that that's possible for women. Mm -hmm. I think it's a hustle. And I think as more females and entrepreneurs enter the workforce, we're going to shift. You know, the modern workday was Henry Ford's idea of nine to five. So what does it look like as we as we become 50% of the workforce? Like, do we start tweaking that? And I think I'm really annoyed with this term of like emotional labor. You decided to have a baby, right? it's not work like women are not being paid at home. Well, you're, you elected to have a baby. If you didn't have a proper conversation with your spouse about who's going to do what, shame on you, shame on us. And if they don't know how to pack for a vacation, guess what? You should teach them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it's on us to say before you have kids, like at least with my husband, it was like, we're 50, 50. He has a full-time job. I have a full-time job. He travels. I travel. But where? what are we both going to be responsible for? Mm -hmm. And then that lightens the load of like, ugh, I'm the one that has to do blah, 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 because both of us do it. And we obviously have a nanny and, you know, 
we've made our lives harder by like she's nine to six at night and we always are patching stuff together, but we wanted to be very involved parents. Mm -hmm. So I think it's on us to say to our spouse, like, I want it equal or I don't, but here's the trade off. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's on us to help guide them if they can't do certain things that you think are no brainers, like pack the toothbrushes in the suitcase (laughs) should be easy. Right. And then divide the duties so that you feel like something is manageable. And then I also think you have to play with your boundaries. I spent the first year of my having my first baby, like, saying yes to too much and saying no to too much. And I learned my comfort zone, not what I saw on Instagram, what I saw another mother doing. And then I had a second kid and I was like, okay, what are my boundaries now? You know, and then with the third. And so you just have to begin to sort of, and then be firm about it. There was three things I wanted to go to this week. They were at night and I've been on the road and I was like, I would love to go out with these other women and go to this dinner, but I'm not. Or this woman was like, I need you to speak at this conference at night. And I was like, no, not unless you're paying me a lot of money. You know, so I think it's just like you have to start saying no to things in order to just make sure that for you, it's in in a flow that you feel comfortable with. Was that, that ever hard for you or it was just something you learned along the way that you have to saying no? respect your – yeah. It's always hard. It's still hard. Like I was still the other night trying to figure out like how can I go then? Can I be a little late? And, can I, and I was just like, ugh, stop it already. Like I looked, I was like, am I going to be – am I going to – make more sales if I go to this dinner? Am I going to grow some aspect of my company in a meaningful way for it to be worth not seeing my kids? If the answer is no, then like it would have been a nice time. I also think like you sacrifice certain things right now, right? You're we're, we're both raising young kids. So like I don't see my friends that often. I see them at these events that I go to during the day, yeah. you know? And so it's like I haven't read a book in seven years and I am a voracious reader. So I think you sort of go, okay, these things will be on the shelf. And then I met a parent last night that has um, a seven and a nine-year-old, and she's like, oh, yeah, our kids go away for the summer, for to summer camp. And, like, you start to see it, like, reemerge of, like, what your life is when you're not just, like, in it. Yeah. So I think it's temporary. How old are your kids now? Eight, five, and 20 months. Eight, five, and 20 months. Yeah. I can't even imagine what. <laughs> and I'll also add this, and I don't mean to, like, go on. We were on vacation last week, and I noticed that. I felt guilty I wasn't replying to emails that were urgent. And then when I took one kid to go do special time with them, I felt guilty about leaving the other two. And then if I was working, because part of what I had to do down there was for work, I felt guilty that I left my kids with my husband, even though that was what was paying for this trip. And I was like, I'm never going to fucking win. So, like, let's just give up on this. (laughs) Right? Like, just like, fuck it. Do you ever have moments where you're like, I just need a moment for just me, just to myself? And what's your what's your? I get like a ten minute uh, massage at the manicurist when I'm yeah. getting my. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Those are the best. Right? Sometimes that's exactly. You're what like, you do you need. want to add a ten minute massage? Yes, I do. Like, yeah, five more minutes. And then they're like, ten more minutes. Yeah, I'm like, yes, yes. As long as these hands are not able to be used, like, give me a massage. Let them, let them dry. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Something that Stephanie and I like to do is we like to surprise and delight our guests. And we also recommend that our clients do that on their social channels. So we actually got a present for you. It's in your – oh, it's right here. In your bag. And we got you a little entrepreneurista swag bag, Oh, my God. got you some flowers. you want me to open it up now? Yeah, open it up. I saw the breast pump and I was like, are you surprising me with the breast pump? Oh, my gosh. Those are are mine over there to pump us as soon as we finish up. Well, I'm glad you're pumping. Oh, my gosh. That's also, I guess, unfiltered. Like, say it all the time. I'm like, 
I'm going to filter myself. Don't I, filter. I, I don't think that fed is best. Rest is best. If you can't do it, totally get it. But you got to try. And it, it sucks and it's work. But you got to do this because you're giving your kid like the best shot at like nutrition mm. and strength and health possible. And so I always love a fellow pumper. I'll tell you, the first – I mean, I went back to work when she was about seven, eight weeks because I was on bed rest for 17 weeks. So I was out of the office for the first basically five months of this year. So had to get back to the office and was using the um, Spectra pump where, like, you have to take off your shirt. You have to do all sorts of stuff. And I was just so overwhelmed. And then I found out – this is new – the LV pump. Do you know about this? I haven't heard of it. And you just stick it right in your bra. Like, I could be sitting here recording with it on. So great. It's like the – best invention ever my life has gotten significantly better i'm able to produce so much more milk because i'm able to pump more frequently and not tie my desk for an hour at a time it's the best yeah that's great yeah she'll have meetings with it on walk around the office i put on my cover and i just go about my day i'm like the only way this shit gets easy is like you just have to adapt it and like be okay like no one can see what's going on yeah same with you with me i still pump and just you know Oh, yeah. I think I saw you featured that on one of your latest fashion shows. Yes. We had a uh, breastfeeding mom at the show. Well, that show was all about women who work. Yes. And uh, we were deciding the vignettes as I was pumping. And I was like, I'm going to call Medela because I think they're going to want to participate in this. And then I knew this woman from this mom, mommy network I'm part of. And she's a model. And she got, I guess, famous for breastfeeding on the Sports Illustrated runway show during Miami uh, Swim Week. And I was like, are you still breastfeeding? Does your daughter like sit still? Because I got two hours for you and I want you to be like front and center. I love that. It's so important to talk about. Like I knew nothing about breastfeeding or pumping. I knew nothing. Yeah. And it was just such a crazy like shock to know what goes into it. And my daughter was in the NICU for two weeks, the first few weeks. So I was like trying to learn how to pump at home. I got mistitis, which was worse than childbirth. Right. That never happened to you. I hope not. But it's crazy i know there's no one um there's no one really helping that be an easier entry you know i think postpartum doulas are seen as luxuries but i think they can teach you some of these things that that women just don't think about sorry back to my (laughs) guest. great love the book i always need a notebook Fun, thanks. You're gonna help me with my plastic. Yeah. Oh no. Now it's just now you have one. No, but you can reuse it. Reuse it. Reuse it. Yes. I just admire. Like I was at a a kindergarten like meet and greet with the parents this morning, and the woman had a mason jar with a cap with her coffee in it, and I was like, she's gonna carry that jar around with her all day. (laughs) Like just that's that's good. I like that. I can't do that, but I do refill my water bottle. (laughs) Coming up. Why Rebecca launched the Female Founder Collective. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. You're definitely a female founder that we look up to, and we've been following your career over the years. And what I think is so fascinating about what you do being social media business owners is that you really capitalize on digital trends and use those capabilities to the advantage of your customers. So can you talk about how you're using social media and and digital marketing? 
Yeah. So it sort of evolved, I would say, over the last six months. Um, and I think we finally feel like we've, quote unquote, figured it out for our brand. I think we weren't afraid to test a lot of things, whether it's a new social platform or, you know, going completely into brand and not having much of the founder being present to now you're seeing me being featured more on social more and the video content we're going to be launching. So I think that I think brands need to be more nimble and willing to try stuff. You know, tech companies have a failure funnel for just trial and error. And I think that a lot of companies are afraid of that. But I think we just are ready to like dive in if it doesn't work, move on and keep testing. And so what we're doing now with social is it's a real personal conversation between myself and the consumer as far as the captions or the replies or the direct messages or, you know, commenting on every tagged picture. I think we're trying to make her feel like I am there and it's not us trying to do that. I'm literally doing it with one other person. So you're on Instagram. You're on social accounts. Oh, my gosh. Yourself, yeah. All day long. Yes. I just – I had to get someone else to help me because, like, that's all that I was doing. And I think you're going to see more video because video is a vehicle, not just because Mark Zuckerberg said it is, but, like, there's somewhat of an instant trust with video that occurs. And so we've seen our conversion when we do video to be a lot higher – especially with our top of funnel campaigns. The cost went way down on a on a campaign we ran last year with our video assets. So we're approaching that, still using influencers, um, but really trying to pair ourselves with creators that are like-minded from a content creation mm-hmm. perspective and then, you know, leaning on them to help create some great assets and that we repurpose all over. One thing that was kind of a major shift that we just decided to do was anytime we posted editorial looking images on our site and on our social, it didn't convert at all. So we just got rid of all that. So what you'll see on our social is either me or user generated content or blogger created content. And that's what will be used across the board. So you'll never, we're never going to have a shoot with models to my knowledge, I hope ever again, because to me, I was like, I don't think that that makes anyone want to shop. Like, does it make me want to buy when I see it on a model? So I want to see it on a real person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why do you think other brands haven't adopted this? Because it seems so – like, you've figured it out. I feel like you've cracked the code. We just figured it out. (laughs) I'm only, like, a few weeks into it. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, maybe it won't work. But that – like, I was just so sick of looking at these fake, almost, like, clip art images. So maybe that works for other companies. And I think each company has to sort of really evaluate, like, what works for them because it's different. Would you say that Instagram is a big revenue driver for for your business or how people are discovering you? It's for discovery and brand awareness. It is not a place that takes purchasing, but we, you know, we trace her past. So like she's looking at Instagram, you know, she's seeing and, you know, her path to purchases other other ways, but it's definitely a discovery tool. What's next for your brand? Well, we announced that we launched Fragrance at the end of next year. Most companies would announce that and then at the end of next year be like, ta-da, it's done. But I said, we're taking our consumer through every step of this process. So she's going to help me narrow down the final sense, uh, which we'll do in January. She's going to help me like vote on names. Like I really want her to participate in a major way so that when we launch, you have someone that's been excited to take part in the journey. Um, is this all through Instagram? Yeah. How are you going to do that with fragrance? Because I would think you would need to smell it. Yeah. I'm going to have everyone, I'm going to invite people down to my store, like oh, nice. 100, 200 women, come smell it, and you'll be the first one to get the new scent, you know, if you come down and give me your thoughts. So I've already been doing polls, and 
letting people see what I'm allowed to show. There are certain proprietary things that the company is like, you can't show the bottle. The bottle design is everything. So like I can't show that stuff, but I have all the content ready that when I can share it or like I didn't know what it looked like to smell perfume. And literally it's a woman holding her arms out with like the two perfumes on each side and like I'm smelling someone's arms. So I have all this great content to share when we can. Are you going to be down at the store? Everyone's going to smell you with your arms. They're not going to smell me. I'm going to hire like a smell model. But um, it'll just be interesting to see what people choose. That's awesome. How did you decide to go into fragrance? As we sort of look to expand other categories, this is a great opening price point that, you know, someone who wants to buy into the brand can afford. And we just thought with a sensory, you know, leather and clothing and tactileness that fragrance was just another good way to, to launch a feeling that would have, you would evoke in someone for the brand. I want to talk more about the Female Founders Collective yeah. and why you decided to start this and it's been a year. Like what's happening? What's happening next for the Female Founder Collective? So I launched it out of frustration that there was no easily identifiable way to to know if a female founded company, you know, who started it. And if you could have a consumer facing symbol, hopefully we could change consumer buying habits. Berlin Cameron did a study that found that 80% of women would be more likely to support female-founded companies if they knew how. So could you walk down the street and see the symbol? Could you turn over your package like you do to see if it's non-GMO or organic and go, oh, woman-owned. Okay, I'm going to buy Health Aid Kombucha instead of Mr. T's or whatever it's called. I'm going to buy my away luggage instead of Samsonite. So I think you know you could make all these decisions that would funnel more money to female-owned businesses. And then I think that, I, as I had said earlier, like there are things that occur that – I always say, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) And you need other founders who have gone through or are going through what you are. So today, it's a Slack, Google, Facebook group. And then the events that we've had that have been in a format of workshops so that you're actually getting learnings from a founder. We're building product. It's my fault it's taken so long because I was like, let's just take a look at our branding just to make sure it's good before we launch the website. And that's taken six months. So... Hopefully January, the product launches, which is the directory, which I promised everybody for anyone to use of all the companies, and then the member portal for founders to connect, uh, share tips, their black book of resources Mm -hmm. of like, here's my tech stack, here's my payroll company, here's my all these things that most people will go to Google, but here's a vetted resource from a founder that's had success, and then the education piece, which we do offline now. But we'll take it online as well. Is your time now like 50-50 female founder collective versus the fashion company? So it was 70-30 the last year, female founder collective, 70%, 30% my Mm. brand. Then we had some key hires uh, leave Rebecca Minkoff. And I've been back into the caption writing and the social commentary and planning a lot of Fashion Week initiatives that – I'm not saying this from like only I can plan it, but I have to be really involved. And so it's now like 50-50 and we're staffing up on the Female Founder Collective side to really make sure that that continues to grow. We have over 6,000 members now and the seal's on over two and a half million products. It's on our website. Yeah, we got on our website, yes. <laughs> I guess let's talk about some more personal things. So what are some recommendations you would have for people on what to listen to, what to read to stay inspired and motivated? You can listen to my podcast, which is called (laughs) Superwoman with Rebecca Minkoff. I think similar to you, just providing great women, great advice, great failings, learnings. 
I wish I could say read something, but I read TechCrunch and Inc. and Fast Company and Entrepreneur. I feel like I, I can't know enough about business. So that is just if you're going to be in business, you got to be really smart and you got to mm-hmm. stay educated. And so that's kind of my way of doing that. Favorite mantra or quote that you live by or run your business by? <laughs> my The former president of my company had a way – she was like – grew up selling and she could sell anything to anyone. And during some really tough times where maybe I designed the wrong product or the buyer didn't like it, she would be like, see this clear bag? It's not clear. It's red. And you want it with studs? Great. That's what we're going to do. And she'd get a huge order. And I was like, you can sell anything to anyone, even if it doesn't exist. And and <laughs> she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she didn't care if that made you uncomfortable. So I would say like, This doesn't apply to dating, but no is just the beginning of yes. And to really, you know, when you are passionate and you have a product or you have a service that you really believe in, like, it's just like, you're going to get told no all the time. We still are, but you just have to keep persisting and like, keep finding a different way to ask or taking the right feedback and tweaking the product and then coming back. And what are you most grateful for? My three children and my amazing husband. (laughs) And is there a moment in time looking back on this journey where you can say, I, this is the, my proudest moment? Oh, that's tough. I think it's like a series of moments. It's like when I first got into the CFDA, I don't know why I thought that was my proudest moment, but like that was like, it seemed like a big deal at the time. Or when we opened our first store, I was like, oh my God, I have a store in Soho across the street from Tiffany and Chloe. You know, that seems like a big deal. So I think there are these moments that, they just keep getting, you know, when we were in Time's Most Innovative and it was a two-page of me, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in Time Magazine as like, That's awesome. you know, an innovative brand. And if you could give our entrepreneurista audience one fashion tip that they must know, what would it be? Can I give two? Oh, yes, you can. A lot of the times I try and put on something that makes me uncomfortable, not physically, but like, ooh, can I pull that off? And usually that item is the thing that's like most complimented. Mm -hmm. So like don't be afraid to like try something that you're like, can I do it? That'd be one. And then please don't wear a shoe that you can't walk in by yourself. Like if you need a partner to help you with that walk across the street or you know at the end of the day you're going to be limping, just don't do it. It's not a good look for anyone. That's why I'm always in flats (laughs) or in very small heels. (laughs) And lastly, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista means to me to just, you know, no one is going to hand you success on a silver platter. You have got to be aggressive, not in an, in an annoying way, but you have to really attack for what you want and work your ass off. And no one's going to like, everyone's so used to clicking a button and getting what they want. But guess what? Your career is not that. Your career and your brand, I'm 15 years in and now it looks good, Right. So I think that you have to say, I'm just starting out. What is the 15-year, 10-year plan? And you can keep clicking your Uber and your Amazon, and that can arrive tomorrow, but your career can't. It's really, really great advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy all of your products? (laughs) You can buy my products, support females, at RebeccaMinkoff.com. You can follow me at Rebecca Minkoff and you can download my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It's called Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. And you're replying to everyone on Instagram right now. I'm talking to you. It's me. <laughs> I am her, everyone. <laughs>
So we have a gift for everybody. Uh, if you enter the code Entreprenista at checkout, you'll get 25 off some of your favorite products. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Entreprenista is produced by Mouth Media Network for Socialfly. Copyright 2019, Socialfly, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.